welcome. I'm here with Dan Navarra and Kelsey Henderson, who these two are the uh, high school pastor and kids pastor at Monte Vista Chapel in Turlock, California. And this is the first time that we've actually had two guests on the podcast. And we are excited because I'm going to hear all about the amazing and kind of revolutionary thing that they're doing here at their church. And then also talking about compensation. Uh, Dan has tons of experience talking about compensation for youth pastors. And we're going to look into that and how it can actually help you either if you're staffing or you're actually getting compensation. Um, are you talking about the right number here? And that can be a taboo situation, but that's something Something that we need to talk about today. So excited. Welcome, Dan and Kelsey. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks yeah, for having us. Really glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm Dan and Dan Kelsey. Could you just start? Maybe Kelsey, you can go first of just a little bit about uh, who you are, your context and uh, how you got into kids ministry. Absolutely. Um, well, let's see. I'm married. I've been married to my husband, Nate, for almost 10 years, and I've got two kids, um, Sayla and Keaton. They're five and three years old. Um, Keaton's a beast. Keaton, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a good boy. He's the same size as his five-year-old sister. It's pretty wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Um, and let's see. This is my, my sixth year in vocational ministry um, prior to being on staff at a church, I volunteered in junior high ministries for nine years. Um, and, you know, before that I went to college, I got a degree in communications and in theater. And uh, right after college was wondering, what am I going to do with my life? And uh, was working retail. I did a ton of retail management um, through college and uh, about three years after I was still doing ministry. Um, as a volunteer and falling in love with that. And so I kind of got into children's ministry because a position had opened at the church that I was serving at in junior high ministries. And uh, someone had recommended me for the position and I got a phone call and they said, Hey, have you thought of applying for this job? And um, I thought, well, I haven't worked with kids before. Um, I had worked with junior hires, but not with younger kids. And, um, yeah, I kind of had to think through that. And in the process, I was wrestling with God saying, no, I don't feel you know, adequate because I don't have a seminary degree. I studied theater. Like what, what use am I to this church and being on their staff? And so um, I waited to the last minute, which if you, if anyone knows me, they know I don't procrastinate. That's just not how I am. Right. So um, I waited and um, I got a call and said, Hey, we still don't have your application in. So we're not going to interview until we get your application. Um, and so I turned it in and I interviewed with about six moms and then our family ministry pastor. Wow. And, um, six moms? Yeah. Six moms on the team. Oh my Lord. I know they're asking me all sorts of questions about what are you going to do for my child? Um, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. And so, um, so yeah, they called me the next day and it just so happened that that day I, uh, went to the doctor and found out I was pregnant and they called me and said, Hey, we have a job for you. Um, we want you to come onto our staff as a children's ministry partner. Um, and so I said, okay, well, I'm pregnant. They said, that's fine. Come anyway. Um, so I joined staff here and, uh, yeah, I started that first year as a children's ministry partner, which was um, basically handling all elementary teaching, Sunday morning, Wednesday night kind of things. Um, and then 
I, I've never really been someone who uh, does like an entry level position. Like I had always been in management. Mm. So it was humbling and weird to uh, be an entry level position at a church. And uh, I kind of had this mentality that I would, you know, you know how they say dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So I kind of came in and said, I'm going to do the job I want, not the job I have. (laughs) So I just started being the children's director. And um, our associate pastor on staff at that time, about a year into my role, he pulled me aside and said, you're you're a children's director. You're doing the full-time work of a children's director, and we want to honor that. And so um, they moved me from an hourly position to a salary position. And then it was like a year after that, they said, okay, well, you're actually like a children's pastor. So now you're children's pastor. So <laughs> the title changed a couple of times. <laughs> our church's journey has moved from complementarianism towards egalitarianism. In our okay. So we have yeah. female pastors is a relatively new thing for the history of our church, which is really exciting for us. Yeah. That looks like heaven. So yeah, that's awesome. So, so now I've been doing this for six years. Love it. Um, and that's kind of my journey here. Amazing. Let me pick up a story there. So I'm interviewing and uh, I've only been at Monta Vista for a little less than five years. And so I'm interviewing and they walk me through the office building and they're showing me like where the offices are and stuff. And I walk past Kelsey's door and she is sitting on the floor, Indian style with, (laughs) with card stock of every color of the rainbow spread out all over her floor, like five pairs of scissors in her hand and glitter (laughs) everywhere. And I walked by and I was like, my kids are going to love it here. So that was my first impression of Kelsey. Just this like, killing it children's pastor who is like in the weeds having fun doing things that i mean i came to monta vista partially because of their ministry to kids it's legendary in this area and so um just being able to be a part of that was cool i uh this is year let's see 15 for me in vocational ministry uh 12 of those are full-time as a youth pastor um and the other three were intern years uh half-time interns and uh so i didn't want to be in ministry growing up i uh wanted to be an architect. My little brother felt called to vocational ministry in eighth grade. Uh, he's also a pastor, but uh, I was like, nah, that's cool for you. But I think I'll just like go to church and be a Christ follower and make a lot of money over here. Um, and so I graduated high school, had worked at a firm for architecture all through high school, was off on a college retreat and uh, my first you know, Christmas break of freshman year of college. And uh, the the unmistakable call of God showed up in a basement at 2 a.m. where the mm. college pastor just whispered, basically, you know, Dan, you'd make a good pastor one day. Mm. Um, and like many of us have done, I laughed in his face, um, little Abraham, you know, and Isaac kind of deal. And uh, he had the last laugh. Uh, we were in Lake Tahoe. It was snowing. And the way I described that little whisper, that, that first inkling of calling was it started to snowball an avalanche. And it just got bigger and bigger and louder and louder and faster and faster until finally about a month later, I said, all right, fine, have it your way. And um, cause I didn't want to end up in the belly of a whale. I mean, none of us want to do that. Right. And so <laughs> I said, fine, have it your way. I dropped my architecture classes in college, uh, added like communications, philosophy, things like that. Didn't tell my parents, even though they were paying for it. Don't recommend doing that. Um, <laughs> had a family meeting a couple months later to kind of do the DTR to find the relationship and let mom and dad know that I was leaving my career in architecture and my goals that I'd set five years ago to, you know, become a pastor and make no, no money. And they were never prouder of me. And so that was kind of a sigh of relief. Mm. Started interning at my church, interned at the church for a few years, um, 
did junior high, did high school, did worship, did all kinds of stuff. Loved it. Just loved it, loved it, loved it. And uh, then I got hired straight out of college. I graduated with a degree in philosophy with a religious emphasis, which mm-hmm. sounds very Christian, but it wasn't. Um, right. And uh, I took a job at a small church as the second pastor, which um, my data with YP Compro says most churches are small churches that have one solo lead pastor. And then the second pastor does youth, children, family, like it's the second pastoral role. So that was me. I took my first job in that role and it uh, lasted an astonishing 11 months before the church realized they couldn't really afford to have two pastors. Mm. I was let go 11 months into full-time ministry and uh, that was a pretty traumatic event. I had started seminary at the time. I'm a fuller theological seminary MDiv graduate, Um, finished that up a few years ago. And uh, so I decided I was going to go to school and anyway, long story short, got called out to this little podunk town called Modesto. I'd never really heard of about an hour and a half away from where I grew up and spent five years as their student minister there doing junior high and high school. Um, loved it. Uh, it was a great season. I met my wife in Modesto. We started our family in Modesto and uh, about five years into that decided that we didn't want our kid to be the only one in the nursery because it was definitely a little bit o- older of a church. And so we left for the greener pastures of Monta Vista Chapel, um, which had at that time, I think like 350 minors on campus every single Wednesday night. I mean, it, it was the wow. legendary pop-in children's and youth ministry uh, church in the Central Valley of California. And uh, so we were excited to raise our kids in that environment and for me to be a part of that team. Um, our, our junior high, just to put it in perspective, our junior high pastor, uh, he's been here almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like uh, your listeners will know how rare that is. It's that his is first insane. full-time ministry job, and he's been at it for two decades. Like yeah. wow. that's crazy. And he's pretty fabulous. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> ten, he's ten out of ten. So he uh, must be fabulous. Yeah, twenty-five years. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've been at Monta Vista now for a little less than five years, and uh, I, um, in addition to being the high school pastor, I also am part of our preaching team. So I, mm. I preach about once a month, and uh, part of a few other kind of executive level type. Uh, initiatives that I get to work on. And that's real fun for me. It, it, it ends up being that I'm about a half time youth pastor and end up doing all the other things that I do about the other half of the time, um, which is a little bit unfortunate, but I think it's appropriate for where I am in my career and kind of where God has been leading me personally. Mm. And then on the side, I have YP comp pros and we'll talk about YP comp pros towards the uh, middle and end of this bad boy. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's so awesome to hear about your position now, because that really leads into why both of you are on. And uh, I want to hear all about uh, how youth kids are working together, this foundation that you guys are building at Monte Vista Chapel. Could you tell me about what does your youth student kids ministry, what does that look like? And what are some philosophies that you're kind of working on through that? Um, You know, we we really try to stay connected with what the church is doing as a whole. And we, we translate that into what we're doing with our kids. And so um, we have this saying called Christ in us, Christ through us at our mm-hmm. church. And so the work that we're doing, we, we would call it formational ministry, but really it's, it's paying attention to the work that Christ is doing in us so that his love can flow through us. And we're doing that with our students here. Um, Formation looks a lot like discipleship. Like yeah. for most churches, they'd say, oh, we have a discipleship plan. Like stop mm-hmm. one, stop two, stop three. This is the path towards becoming a disciple. Mm-hmm. And we we kind of believe for, formation differs from discipleship in that it doesn't really have a path. 
we, we recognize that the life that you're living is the school that God wants you to be in to become more like him. And so formation really is a choose your own adventure. Where is God leading me to become more like Christ in my journey specific to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so teaching that at a really young age, like a really young age, starting, I mean, pre-kindergarten, yeah. honestly here, um, yeah, I, we, what we've seen over the last, uh, well, my five years would be the students that I'm inheriting from our kids ministry are able to do um, a lot of spiritual work internally that most adults who've been following God for a decade or two can't do. Mm-hmm. They right. can't actually ask the question, where is God inviting me to grow? Mm. Yeah. And so, so what that might look like on a Sunday morning would be, you know, we, we go through the Bible chronologically. We use an awesome curriculum called true um, by David C. Cook. And uh, they go through the Bible chronologically, but every story begins and ends with Jesus being the hero of the story. And so in our culture, what we tend to do is our story, we're the hero of our own stories, right? Every good thing is because of us. Like every, every time something goes right, it's because we did something right, right? That's not necessarily true, right? So we know that the God story, God is the hero. And so how do you take God's story and make it your own and still allow him to be the hero of that story? And so that's kind of the work we start with with kids at a young age is we say, you know, you're, you're part of God's story. The work that God is doing in you and through you isn't, isn't for your glory, not for your kingdom. It's actually um, for what he's doing to grow his kingdom here on earth. And so um, we, we ask the kids to identify those places where God's at work in them and then give them the opportunity to, to speak that. And so at the end of class, after each lesson, I will ask the kids a question like, um, if you were to fill in the blank here, God teach my heart to dot, dot, mm-hmm. dot. And then they would pray and, and ask God, okay, God, what are you asking my heart to learn from this? What, where do you want me to grow? And so then they would say, okay, God's saying, teach my heart to, you know, to be mindful of others. Okay, great. So that's what they're going to focus their next week on. And we're going to say, okay, take that and say it every day. God, teach my heart to be mindful of others. God, teach my heart to um, be open to follow you. And, And that's kind of the conversation we start at a young age. And then Dan can kind of speak how that translates as they're getting older. So, yeah. So by the time they get to high school, there's a foundation that's really been laid where now I can explain to them. That's actually called a breath prayer. Mm-hmm. It's a prayer that you breathe in and you breathe out. It's a short prayer that reminds you of the thing that God has invited you into. And so we have a name for that, what we would call a spiritual practice. Spiritual practices are kind of like disciplines, uh, which would be, you know, your traditional disciplines of reading the word, memorizing the word, uh, daily prayer time, thing, you know, things like that. Um, spiritual exercises, we would say, are more akin to uh, taking the muscle that lets you listen to God and exercising that muscle. Mm-hmm. And so where many of your listeners may say, if I asked my kids to fill in that blank that Kelsey just mentioned, it would be like nails on a chalkboard, like, ah, wh- what? What? <laughs> But the idea is that I'm exercising the muscle. And so it will be very hard at first. Yeah. But after years of doing it, we believe in the slow work of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually a really new movement for our church relatively. We're a 50-year-old church. And 10 years ago, 
we were at the forefront of the attractional ministry model. I mean, this church literally had a pulpit that would rise out of the platform. (laughs) So like the worship would end and they'd play the bumper video and the fog machines would go up and the pulpit would just appear. Like, seriously, it was that intense. (laughs) It's really been an invitation that our senior leaders brought us through to come away and die from attracting people to follow Jesus and what we attract them with is what we have to keep them with. And so it has to be bigger and better every year. I mean, if you do a VBS, you feel like you have that pressure to make it bigger and bigger and better and better every year. We have really, and it's been traumatic. We've released ourselves from that pressure to Mm. say, actually what we want to attract people with is we are like Christ and we're helping people partner with them in becoming like Christ. That is our, we put all of our eggs in that basket. Right. Wow. So, so it's that concept of what you draw them with is what you draw them to. And I mm-hmm. think we've kind of narrowed that down to, we simply want to draw them to Jesus. And so what does that look like when you're saying that for kids at a very young age and you say, you know, I'm not here to entertain you. I want you to have fun, but I also, you know, the most important thing here is that you have a bump into Jesus. Right. So. Wow. I want to dig into this a little bit. Cause I think I hear a lot of our listeners like, okay, Everything that you're saying, I agree with, right? We want to be not attractional. We want to draw people to Jesus. And lots of people, I think, have, you know, learning outcomes. Okay, we want to learn this by this age. And maybe this is a discipleship plan. But I really want to dig into what you're saying because I think some might be missing. Like, okay, well, what does that look like? So could we just, what what did this look like when you started this conversation? And you thought, okay, we're going to make this shift. What were some things that you talked about? And then what were some challenges that you faced? The, the image I have right now, when you say, what did it look like when you started it? Was, you know, that scene in Indiana Jones where he's looking out over the cliff and it's like, you're, I'm supposed to walk out here and there's no pathway. Like, right. <laughs> okay, Lord. Like, kind of like, all right, Noah, build an ark. And he's like, okay, what's an ark, right? Like, yeah. uh, you're calling, you're asking us to do what? Right. And, and like, yeah, I was interviewing and I, my wife and I were interviewing and we literally went home and we're like, they are drinking some serious Kool-Aid here. <laughs> like, like whatever's in their drink, we need to get some of that because they crazy. Oh my goodness. I, I, I mean, they, they were asking us what our Sabbath priorities are. Uh-huh. What? <laughs> I'm a youth pastor. We don't Sabbath. Mm-hmm. We go, we do lock-ins. Like it's the opposite of Sabbath. So uh, anyway, Kelsey, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> that's funny, Dan. Uh, let's see. So, what did that look like? Well, uh, I think if you anytime you use the word spiritual formation, I think people get kind of antsy around it. Um, it causes some tension. I just sent out a survey to some parents the other day, um, and in a multiple choice question of what they want for their children, um, you know, A being I want a scripture-based curriculum for my child. I want be a scripture-based curriculum with activities that go along with the curriculum to reinforce it, or C, I want them to just have fun, or D, I just don't care as long as you don't bother me while I'm in church, or E, uh, a spiritual formational curriculum. Zero uh, percent marked that they want a spiritual formational curriculum, which I thought was wow. interesting because it's what we've been doing. <laughs> wow. Truth be told, I took the survey and I didn't mark that. Yeah, because, because that word, it gets kind of wonky when, when you think about it. And so, um, you know, the way that we're doing this is we don't 
we don't retract any of the scriptural lessons that we're doing. We don't water those down at all. Um, instead, we actually read through scripture and instead of just saying, this is what happened, we say, okay, this is a part of our history. This is a part of our heritage. But this is also us coming to know who, who Christ is and what his heart is and how he modeled certain behaviors for us so that we can live our best life here on earth. And so um, the, the, the spiritual formational part comes after that. So we can say, now that we have this information, what are we going to do with it? How does this apply to our lives? Um, and that's the work we're doing with kids here is uh, we're saying, here's, your, here's the, the history um, of what God has done. So you can know from start to, to now that he's consistent and he keeps his promises and he's a loving God. Um, but how does the gospel now pertain to your life? Like, what does it mean for you now? Um, mm. So we can know all the biblical stuff. We can know all the Bible stories. But if we're not able to apply the gospel to who we are in our life now, um, we're missing out on right. what God has for us. And so I would say that's that's what we're doing as far as the spiritual formational stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's no less scripture based or anything like that. It's really taking totally. what you're getting from that and expanding it. Yeah, it. I want to say it's application heavy, and I don't know how you would respond to that statement. Well, but identifying where Christ is in your everyday life, I think it's easy to to bring our little Jesus out on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night when we have program. Um, and then put them back in our pocket for the rest of the week. But this is really uh, training a child's heart to identify that Christ is with them, you know, all, all day, every day, um, in every situation and circumstance. And so... Um, the word we use for that is cooperate, not apply. Yeah. How are you cooperating with what God is inviting you into? Right. I, I can apply Jesus to, to me. Like I can, mm. like makeup, I can, I can put on my Jesus when I need mm. to. Right. But what we really want it to be is a cooperation of partnering with the God of the universe. And so yeah. we, we've gone, uh, our, our process, our language around that is observing your life. Where is God inviting me based on where, I, where I'm observing God in my life? And then how am I willing to cooperate with that invitation? And right. that we find really is less shame-based. Like um, I call it Red Bull. I, I borrow it from Kara Powell, Red Bull Christianity, right? Where... You just have to try harder, try harder, try harder and energize up to get through the thing. Like we, we've really moved away from trying and really moved towards mm. training. Mm. It speaks to the spiritual exercises. It speaks to the long, slow work of God. Nobody tr can try their way through a marathon on day one, right? You have to train for it. It takes time. And so we recognize that following Christ is the same way. Sanctification is a process that will not end until we breathe our last breath. Right. I can kind of speak into just that process in my own personal journey um, from an experience I had last week. Um, so my, I was taking my daughter to ballet class, and when I picked her up, she was in the car just sobbing and crying and crying, crying, crying. And I asked her, I said, honey, what happened? And she, she said, well, mom, we were supposed to do this balancing game. And I was supposed to stand on one foot and we were trying to see who could stand on one foot the longest. And she said, and I was the first one to lose my balance and I'm so embarrassed and I'm never going to be good at this. And, um, <laughs> and the funny thing was, is I suddenly go back in time and it feels like I'm having a conversation with myself at this age. And she says, mom, 
I'm just not going to be good at everything, I guess. And here's, here's my daughter. And I'm thinking, Oh, it's little Kelsey. Just, she wants to be good at everything. Now I'm in this moment. I'm asking God, how can I love my daughter? Well, well, I think a lot of parents would say that they would encourage their child and they would say, well, just try harder. You'll get it. Just keep working at it. Just try harder. That's what I would have and, said. <laughs> <laughs> you could do it. Yeah. Just, just keep working. You'll figure it out. You know, don't worry. Um, and then, but, but in that moment I'm saying, God, what is it that you're asking me to tell, you know, to have this, how do, how do you want me to have this conversation with her? She's just completely uh, broken by this. And so I felt God say, ask her if she's been kind to herself. So I said, sweetheart, when you, when you lost your balance, were you kind to yourself? And she goes, no. I said, okay, were you loving to yourself and patient? And she says, no. I said, okay, what would happen if instead of being upset with yourself when you didn't do something right, if you were kind and patient with yourself? And she goes, well, maybe then I would be happy for my friends who could do it. And I said, wow. okay, all right. So, so next time mommy wants you to be patient with yourself and say it's okay, and, and I want you to be kind to yourself. And, and to me, that's part of the formational work that God has done in my own story. Uh, and I'm able to bring that into how I parent my kids and uh, how you parent everybody's kids. <laughs> that's my kids pastor phone goals, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, and, and so, you know, that's really what we're training the heart to do is to kind of look at things differently than the world says we're supposed to look at them. And right. so the world would say, we'll just keep practicing. And I, and sure, if you keep practicing, you'll get better at something, but in the process, you know, have you experienced the gentleness of Christ? Have you experienced his love and grace for you? And as you, as you experience that, as you breathe that in, it's what gets breathed out uh, mm. to your relationships around you. So, yeah. Wow. That seems like, <laughs> so this is something that your church, like in the adult ages too, that's is sounding oh, like it's, it, it comes from the top and trickles down. Right. I mean, our, totally. our, our senior pastor, it takes time every Tuesday morning to do these practices with us to, to reflect and to read through scripture and, and to identify where God's at work in us. And so, um, you know, we're not, we're not a staff that's starving for that because we're offered it weekly. And I think that helps. And it, it goes down into the work that we're doing within our own ministries for sure. Our, I, I've been in enough other church cultures to know that staff meeting can be, the place where you never know what the boss is going to yell. Uh, you, you could be walking. I mean, and I'm trusting that this is, you know, a bunch of people in ministry listen to podcasts, but you can walk into staff meeting and the boss could be just flat out pissed. Right. And, and that means everybody has to pay for that because this thing didn't go the way it's supposed to go. And how are we going to fix it? And up into the right. And it's like your people are driven to do their jobs with excellence. Um, our staff meeting is 60 minutes of self formation where we share in a group setting. We do mm -hmm. 15 minutes of like business and then we do like another 60 minutes of development. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a, like we look forward to staff meeting. Oh yeah. <laughs> we, it, it's, it's actually a place of rest for us in our week, yeah. which is like unusual, like, Churches don't do that. Staff meeting is hard. Like yeah. it's fun for us. Yeah. yeah. If you miss a staff meeting, you feel it in your week. You know, you oh, feel that's... like you missed out on something. Yeah. I don't take, I don't take any of my comp days on Tuesdays. Yeah. That's our staff meeting yeah. day. 
I, I won't miss a staff meeting, not because of the decisions that are being made in the room, but because I cherish that time with my community. And when ministry's gotten hard and I've wanted, and every one of your listeners has experienced this, when ministry gets hard, you want to quit, you want to move, you greener pastures, right? Uh, the thing that's held me in place has been the community that I'm working with. The, the people who are in that room and we we've opened our staff meetings, they're public. So anybody from our church can come. We have 12 pastors on staff and probably 30 people that come to staff meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's on a Tuesday morning at eight 30 in the morning. So not everybody can, but we've, we've made a point of saying what we're doing is not a secret. We want it to seep into our church culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Next amazing. Question. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the, I think a big struggle um, for a lot of kids ministry and a lot of youth is is something that you guys have plus the way that you're doing it out is is the unifying nature of everyone uh, every ministry leader that's huge despite what you're actually unifying to but the first thing is actually a kids pastor or a kids leader a youth leader they're feeling like okay we're all actually on the same team here we're working for the same thing that's so many struggles we hear about is just people who are like, yeah, I like what you're saying, but I can't really implement any of that. Or I, I don't even know how to start, you know? Yeah. The lowest common denominator that we all have in common is Christ. But if we don't connect over our journey, our personal journey with Christ, we just connect over the business of ministry. Mm-hmm. We, we, we go from, we, we, and this is how I am naturally. We become heartless. We become about the product and not the journey. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned in my, and it's been hard for me. I'm, I'm an Enneagram three up and to the right, like bigger, better, like, and it's been hard for me at times, but what I've learned is the, the means to the end is equally as important as the end. Mm-hmm. And so journeying together and sharing that journey together creates a humanity in my coworkers where the actual business part, it can get frustrating, but it's not what's most important. Mm-hmm. And there's a release and a freedom that comes in that, that actually makes us want to work together. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Um, Dan, would you be able to give us a, a little bit more of a picture of how this looks like in your youth ministry? Cause we hear about Kelsey. Okay. So, you know, here's what it looks like in these kind of activities, hear the story, use true, and then add to it. it, it obviously there's some developmental st- things, so you can only go so far. So, going a couple years down the road, what does that look like for your youth ministry? So we're just starting to see. So if you think about it, right, our, our middle school out here is seventh and eighth grade. So Kelsey has kids, you know, K through six basically. Right. And I get them as ninth graders. So she's been here seven years. So like her first crop of kids that were her, her test dummies to, to use a better word, right. <laughs> they, they're just becoming upperclassmen wow. in, in my ministry. And so actually I would say last year's graduating class was the first class to where it really clicked in place and they had parents that were willing to do the work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're seeing is, and I mentioned this earlier, my teenagers are able to do a, a good portion of them. Ones that have grown up at Monta Vista, they are able to do things with the voice of the father that the average adult can't do. Mm-hmm. They have been taught how do I actually observe what God is asking me to do? And it's not from a place of shame. Like this is what you ought to do to be a good Jesus follower, to be a little mini Christ. This is where I feel like God's inviting me. Um, so it's the difference between being drawn versus driven, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Rick Warren, purpose driven life. Well, if the purpose is what's driving you, you have to have that semi truck in your back, pushing you forward up the hill. Mm-hmm. And if, if that voice gets quiet, well, what happens? The car doesn't keep moving up the hill, right? 
And so if you're drawn by something in front of you, if you're hungry for it, if you desire it, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you actually are pursuing something rather than running from from Mm -hmm. what you shouldn't be. And so my, my, uh, not for everyone, but for my teenagers, this is turned towards a conversation where if I give my kids the chance on a Sunday morning during our Sunday school hour, because we, we have one church service at 1030. We all meet together at nine though, in our age classes. If I give them the choice, what do you want to do this morning? You want to play a game? You want to do a Bible study or you want to do a spiritual exercise? Most of my kids want to do spiritual exercises. Mm. That's sick, dude. They're getting out of bed at nine o'clock in the morning and I don't bring donuts or none of that kind of stuff. And they would rather do a spiritual exercise than a do a exegetical word by word Bible study or B just play a game. They would yeah. rather do that. They, they desire that more. Um, and so we will do an imaginative reading. We'll, we'll do and a lot of these um, kids pastors do them naturally because they're trying to, you know, they're not lecturing for half an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to connect kinesthetically. They're trying to connect visually. They're trying to do other, right. You do Lectio Divina, but you're not calling it that you're just repeating the same verse 10 times you know in what I mean? robot voices and whatnot, you know, right. <laughs> okay. Whatever. <laughs> I did that on Sunday. They loved it. So, so what, like, here's an example of a shift that this has looked like. Uh, we do, we run our own summer camp every year. I take about, I don't know, hundred folks to summer camp, hundred high schoolers. And, um, at the summer camp, traditionally, most summer camps, you know, you do evening chapel, right? You have your worship speaker, and then like the second to last night of camp is your altar call night, and your last night of camp is your recommit night, right? It's the same formula everybody's used for 100 years. Um, thank, thank you, Young Life, right? And uh, what, what we've seen is we actually shifted. We started doing our chapel services in the morning right? Instead of going to like tent time to end the night and like talk about what the speaker said in the evenings, we gather together, we do some singing, and then we do spiritual exercises as a large group. And uh, I'll tell you one, one, one that we did. Um, it was borrowed from a group initiative that Hume Lake used. Uh, but one of my staff, uh, came to me and said, Hey, I really like to lead a spiritual exercise. So what we did was we, we took these kids and we gave every kid a blindfold and we, then had them hold hands and walk out into like a, a, a area of our camp. That's a little bit more woodsy. And so they're like walking through the woods, blindfolded, holding hands, right. As the sun's going down, just picture it. Right. <laughs> Every 14 year old girl's getting a little bit anxious. Right. And we take them to the spot in the trees where we've taken a rope, a long rope, and we've tied the rope kind of in a circle ish. Um, but it's being held up by trees, right? So we've kind of, if you can see me, I'm kind of making a weird cattywampus circle. It looks like a Mario Kart track if you were looking at the racetrack, right? And we tie the rope at waist height. And then we would take every kid who's blindfolded, who hasn't seen the rope at all. And we put place their hand on the rope. So every kid's holding onto the rope in a circle, okay? And they get these instructions. You need to work together to find the end of the rope. If you need help, all you have to do is raise your hand and somebody will come help you. And my staff are surrounding the circle. So the object of this initiative is to find the end of the rope. If you need help, all you have to do is raise your hand. Nobody knows there's no end of the rope. It's a circle. So the lesson that I'm actually asking them to to learn is I need to ask for help. When I feel like I can't figure it, when 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 it's not easy for me to figure it out, whatever it is in life, I can't be afraid to ask for help slowly one by one. 
kids start raising their hands and my staff comes over and grabs them, pulls their blindfold up and goes, you know, it pulls them off the rope. And then they, they go to their friends who've already been pulled off the rope and everybody's pitch quiet. And you're watching kids struggle. You got those kids who are like, I am not giving up. I am. Go-. And an hour later, I've still got kids walking in circles on this rope. And they're like, Ooh, Ooh, I think I found the end. No, you didn't find the end. And they think it's a riddle and they're trying to solve it. And, and I, and the whole time I'm like, Hey, if you need help, just raise your hand. Hey, if you need help, just raise your hand. Finally, it, it, after an hour, I'm like, we got to wrap this thing up. So I untie the rope at one spot on the circle and there's one kid left on the rope and everybody in camp is watching this kid. And I swear to you, 20, 25 feet before he reaches the end of the rope, he raises his hand. Every single kid raised their hand and asked for help before they gave up. You know what I mean? And we, this, this was, it, it was unplanned, but the, this was the thing more than my theme, more than my speaker, more than anything I actually planned for camp. This was the thing that defined our weekend together at camp. Mm. Kids learned, I need to raise my hand. I need to ask for help when I'm struggling. When I feel like I can't figure it out or solve it myself, I actually have to ask for help, both from my peers, but also from the father. Mm. Like, do you, do you feel the deepness of that movement? Yeah, they raised their hand to pray the sinner's prayer. They praised their, they raised their hand so that they could partner with God and with their community of God. Like it was poetry in motion as a youth pastor. <laughs> I mean, I've never been prouder of my kids and so good. yeah. So that, that just gives you a picture of how it feels a little bit different. We're, we're all in on small groups. And so my small group leaders, they're spiritual exercise, they're spiritual directors, essentially they're practitioners of this. They're helping kids listen actively rather than trying to just give them the answers to questions, mm-hmm. which is how every youth pastor wants their small group leaders to be. But we double our emphasis on that. We put all our eggs in that basket. That's amazing. Yeah, you can see how, you know, as you guys are explaining this, it's most people probably tracking. Yeah, I think we do that. I think we do that. But the outcome and the the whole shift is huge about what difference is this actually making. And, and I think what that's we found is we're, we're really we've looked. We are the only church of our size. We're 600 on a Sunday, um, but, but our kids in youth ministry is 250 to 300 on a Wednesday. Um, we are the only church of our size that is not letting the tail wag the dog. And what I mean by that is we are, we are first about this and second about all the other things that most churches put their emphasis on. So we are, not trying to attract people so that we can form them. We're trying to attract them with formation, which is to say, we just want people to run into people from Monta Vista Chapel that smell like Jesus and let them go. Ooh, that that's different. That's the way you parent is different. The way that you love your husband or, or your wife is different. Like you're, you, you actually are a lot like this guy. I know his name's Jesus. Like I'd like to, be a part of a community where people are like that. And we don't do it perfectly, but, and, and it's, it's led to our church is half the size it was 10 years ago because the invitation to come away and die and surrender that, which you hold. It's not uh, attractive. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's not attractive. And yet it is the best form of following God. I mean, yeah. it really is. Wow. That, that's a testament to what is actually going on there. Yeah. Um, 
this has all been so great. I'm sure people will want to connect and ask more questions. Um, but I want to shift gears and talk about something, Dana, an initiative that you have, YP Comp Pros. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that and how that got started? And Yeah. yeah. So uh, YP Comp Pros is my side hustle. Uh, and it, it came out of it, like basically what happened is a couple of years ago, I wanted to walk into my boss's office during my annual review and I wanted to have some data that said, Hey, I deserve a raise. Um, and so I put a little Google form together asking for some youth pastors to give me some information on their compensation, their church size, their budget, things like that. And, uh, posted it in a couple places online, like a couple youth pastor communities. I'm a part of Facebook groups. And, uh, in three days, I had like 800 people fill out this Google mm-hmm. form. I, I was wow. hoping for like 50 and 800 people filled this thing out. And I, how much people care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it was, it flagged for me. It was like, Oh, this is a pain point yeah. for a lot of folks and they want their voice to be heard, but there's not a safe way to do that. And, uh, so I partnered with the youth cartel. Uh, I talked to them about kind of publishing on their blog, um, and kind of promoting the survey ended up having about 1300 full-time youth pastors take the first compensation survey. And uh, I published like a four page academic report on the survey. I put it into an Excel spreadsheet, analyzed the data myself and pointed out some trends and some things. I didn't have race, gender and location data on that information. Cause I didn't care about that at the time. But uh, the, the last question on my survey gave people a chance to write a comment or a rant or like, Hey, you want to get something off your chest? This is a safe place. And people's stories that they wrote of how they've been pooped on by the church, capital C, um, <laughs> is it. Yeah. Kelsey's laughing, but it, it was painful <laughs> for me. So it was painful for me to read some I'm, of the I'm stories. I'm laughing because of your intention in starting the whole thing and then what it's done in your own story. I'm, I'm laughing with delight. <laughs> oh yeah. Because I'm cooperating with the invitation that, that I've observed in my own life. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Freaking spiritual formation. It gets you from everywhere. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so I, I knew I had to do the survey again. I added some more detail in 2018. Uh, it got up to 50 questions. It took about 20 minutes for somebody to answer. Um, full-time and part-time youth pastors. Sorry to all of your kids pastors out there, but we didn't do one for you guys. I might do one this year for kids pastors because I think there's a demand for it. Um, and uh, I had over 2000 respondents in 2018 uh, decided to go next level on my report. And so I did a 14 page report. Um, so I added 10 more pages of data and it still wasn't enough. Um, and as I'm realizing that I, I'm not going to write a 35 page report on compensation, like people aren't just, they're going to garbage in garbage out it. And so I decided I wanted to start a little bit of a blog and I wanted to kind of do some follow-up articles on my general report that the youth cartel published. And um, through that, I, I realized that my own wiring and my own expertise, both in hiring and being let go and, um, and going through interview processes and interviewing folks and just my own attention to detail with resumes and cover letters and references and things like that, interview tactics. Uh, I had this bubble of knowledge that I've been sitting on for a little while based on my own experience. And in my relationships with other youth workers, it would come up that I have something to give, but I never really like realized that I had something that lots of people would benefit from in my tribe. And so I started YP comp pros with the idea of being able to provide some training uh, for youth pastors where 
you know, you pay for a, a class essentially on how to interview for a youth pastor position. This isn't like monster.com general interviewing right. tactics. This is like, here's what churches are looking for from their youth pastor. Um, and uh, so I have, I'm putting together these master classes. And I, and I think, honestly, if you were to buy all of them, uh, and they're not even for sale yet, and it, but if you were to buy all of them, uh, you'd pay, it would pay for itself in your first paycheck because of the things that you'll be asking during the interview, the things yeah. that will benefit you uh, for the long term when it comes to your compensation and benefits and understanding the, the landscape of what it means to be a pastor in vocational ministry in America. Right. So, uh, I started that in November, launched my results for the 18 survey to 2018 survey in January of 2019, um, and started writing some blog articles and I'm working in, you know, in the midnight hour working on, uh, putting together these master classes. And l literally by the time this podcast drops, uh, which I think would be in April, uh, I should have stuff on at ypcompros.com available for purchase that, uh, even for kids, pastors too, um, it's written for youth pastors, but I think a lot of the principles carry over. Um, right. it, it will change the way you view compensation and it will help you. Um, the, my, my phrase is turn your calling into a sustainable career Right. because the average lifespan of a youth pastor is like two years or less. And, and so people are called to work with teenagers, um, but they're not staying. And that's actually you know, every piece of information from Sticky Faith and the Fuller Youth Institute would say that's traumatic, actually, for a mm -hmm. teenager's faith and for a child's faith to build a trust building, uh, to build a long term trust relationship with a caring adult. That is the bread and butter of youth and children's ministry. And to have that relationship severed, whether it's because the youth pastor feels like they need to leave because they can't sustain their lifestyle because they, you know, get married, have a kid, buy a car, whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. all those things. Um, I, I want to help youth pastors and children's workers stay. I want to help us be able to breathe and not have to worry about the compensation part of that. And there's some things that you can do that um, don't even cost the church more money. Like it, it doesn't even come in the form of a raise, but it'll, there's some strategies that I have in my content. And some of this is covered in the report that I'll be in the show notes, a link to the report. Um, but there's some things that pastors can do that uh, just they're, they're benefits that you can gain that might hold you in that place a little bit longer where if, you know, if you can make it to the four or five year mark at a church, you've built so much trust with the other, with the members of the congregation, the members of your staff, even within your own ministry. I mean, everybody knows it takes a full three or four years for your ministry to really be infused into the program that you're leading mm -hmm. from the holdover of whoever was doing it before that. Like if you can get to the five year mark, you're going to be there a long time actually, because the church has seen over five years, the value that they have in your position. And they're going to be more willing to find money to retain you long-term. Yeah. So, That's so good. I yeah. think this is such a, and I, it just speaks into those 800 responses from that first survey. This is such a important point for everyone you know it seems like the classic is i become a youth pastor just long enough until i can get a real quote-unquote pastor job which is totally wrong and detrimental to these youth and the other thing that it hits a chord for me is as a church we want to be leading in every area of life including employee satisfaction and compensation and and not that it should be extravagant or anything like that but to we well it's the church so we're gonna pay you 
here's, $10 an hour. To that point, and this is maybe even where Kelsey could chime in a little bit, um, the gender wage gap in America is about 16 to 18%. In the church, according to my data of over 3,000 youth pastors, the gender wage gap is like 12.8%. But here, here's where it gets even uh, so that's ugly, right? That yeah. that's saying that a man earns a dollar and a woman earns eighty eight cents, eighty seven cents. Okay, um, and it gets worse the the further into ministry you go. If you're a twenty year veteran, you make seventy seven cents on the dollar compared to your male counterparts as a woman. Wow, yeah, it's sad, right? It's not how heaven looks at all. We would all yeah. agree on that, no matter where your theology lines on pastoral work. Right? Yeah, and so there's that piece, but here's where it gets a little bit even more disturbing for me. The number one denomination of egalitarian hiring is the Methodist denomination of my 23 denominations that I recognized in my um, survey. Methodists hired the most women. It was 33% of all my female correspondents were Methodist. Okay. If you were to order the compensation of youth pastor by denomination, Methodists ranked 20 out of 23 denominations. Okay. Mm. So they hire the most women, but their compensation is very low. If you subtract out women and re look at the list, Methodists jump from 20 to 10. Hmm. So they hire women, but they're not paying them equal to their male counterparts. Hmm. It's wow. so sad to me. Yeah. Like that's like, okay, we're halfway there, but we're not fully there. Now the Presbyterian denomination, it's, it's way healthier. Uh, the average compensation of a woman who's a Presbyterian 22% of female youth pastors are Presbyterian. Their compensation is within $300 average of a male, of a male counterpart. That's, that's excellent. That's super healthy. Like that's almost perfect. So there, there are denominations out there. I mean, I had 500 Baptists take my, take my survey. Only 18 women were Baptist, but those mm. Baptist women are paid exceptionally well. Mm. So like, it's possible to find exceptions to all of this, but it just, I think if our, if our invitation is to be leaders in the world in how we compensate and care for people within the four walls of the church, I mean, we need to look more like heaven, you know, yeah. like maternity leave. I mean, yeah. it, we, I, I know I had to be out with my, my, we had tw twins two years ago. I had to use all my sick time. I think mm. I I'm, I'm an opt out employee, so I don't get disability like FMLA, whatever. Um, and so I had to use all my sick time to, to be out with my kids for a few weeks because I have a bank of sick time. But if I don't have a bank of sick time, I had to come back to work. What? Right. Well, okay. We'd take care of you. Like most churches are like not ruthless about that kind of stuff, but like, it's not a policy somewhere. Like, here's what we're going to do for you. It's not like here. We don't like, we should be advertising how we care for our people. And but, advocating for it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's so great. I can hear so many people thinking questions. Would you be able to leave us with um, just a couple action points? Obviously, visit the website and, and go check out that stuff. But either for youth pastors or kids leaders, they're like, uh, I don't know where I stand on any of this or what should I do? I think I think I need to address this in my own life. Or maybe it's a senior pastor looking at his staff. Yeah, well, there, there would be there would be two kind of things. One of them has to do with the, the spiritual side of this whole thing. Cause when, anytime you talk compensation, there's that balance of like business versus like calling, right. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, the tendency for those of us who are vocational pastors, no matter what your role is, the tendency to get bitter 
every time compensation is painful, um, that, that tendency, if you don't tend to the bitterness with the father, it will eat away at you. Mm. And, and what, what I've seen in, in my community specifically is if you don't tend to that bitterness with the father, like surrender the bitterness, um, and talk through the bitterness in a safe place with a spiritual director, a mentor, a pa- you know, somebody who's safe, um, you run the risk of really getting angry and that anger starts to leak out of that bucket pretty hardcore. It comes out in sin. It comes out in addiction. It comes out in anger at your own family. It comes out at snapping at a member of the congregation, getting frustrated in a staff meeting. I mean, it starts to leak and you can't control the bitterness. So tend to the bitterness is the first one. Uh, That's a real spiritual piece of advice. The second piece of advice I would offer um, when it comes to compensation is uh, to be aware of what your worth is. So many people have their head in the sand. They don't know what the market value is for their skill. And um, they're afraid to have the conversation. Mm. 64% of youth pastors did not have an annual review last year. Mm. 64%. Six out of 10 youth pastors didn't even get in the room where they could talk about their role and their compensation and their benefits. Mm. Which is unusual in any other type of work environment. (laughs) 80% of youth pastors did not ask for a raise last year. Mm. And so you're bitter but you're not doing anything proactive to care for that bitterness, not on the spiritual side, but on the actual practical side. Cause here's what I know. If I have a safe place where I can say, Hey, I really could use a, a pay bump, even like a 2% cost of living adjustment would be great. Right. And my boss hears that it takes a pot that's not even on the stove and at least puts it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when money frees up or when somebody gives a large check and they go, Hey, we need to reevaluate some budget things. Like they'll, in the back of their head, they'll go, oh, I already talked with Dan and Kelsey and they could really use a bump. Let's do something there because it's on the back burner and then it moves slowly to the front burner. But if it's not even on the stove, I mean, you don't have a chance. Nobody's walking into anybody's office and saying, hey, you're doing a great job. How about 10% pay bump? What? Like if you're at a church like that, stay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So those would be the two practical things. Kelsey, maybe something on the formational side. If, if people hear what we're doing and they want to dive a little bit deeper into that, I mean, there's not a lot of books out there on it, but how would you say they should pursue something like that? Yeah, um, I think you would start with the conversation with God and just say, I have a desire to know more about this um, because the reality is, is when you go to him, he reveals things to you. Um, and so I would say that's probably the first start. Um, and then just as far as resources, I think, I think the true curriculum is really great. Uh, that's David C. Cook. Um, there's, I'll be at a family ministry conference this uh, May called The Gathering in Colorado Springs um, at New Life Church. I think they have a lot of great resources for families um, and for people in ministry. Um, you know, we've kind of gone through the think orange, sticky faith kind of stuff. Um, so I think those are places to start. But ultimately, I think if you just ask the question, um, how do I want kids to run into Jesus today? And it's so funny because I'm a planner. I'm Dan mentioned his Enneagrams of three. I'm a one, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a reformer. I like to have everything in order. Um, and I'm usually prepared for things far in advance, but it's funny because God always catches me off guard about once a month. He'll say, no, we're going to do this instead. And it's like 10 minutes before the kids are going to run upstairs. And I have to say, okay, God, we're moving. Let's do this. And he'll put something else on my heart. And so I would also say, as a children's pastor, give yourself permission to move with the father. And so if that looks 
like you're going to scrap your entire lesson plan, scrap your entire lesson plan and just go with it um, and let God. <laughs> and coming from a one, that's really a hard thing to do because and, we hold so tightly onto those things. And she's not talking about leading one little one like classroom of 10 kids. No, she, I have a classroom a of about 60 on a Sunday morning with me and sometimes another adult, hope, usually another adult, but. <laughs> we always have another adult. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, they always show up. <laughs> six, six, 60 to one ratio? No, we never do that. Never, never. Never. So, eight to one, always, of course. Yes, yes. yes exactly. Uh-huh. exactly. Uh-huh. With, so, with an EMT on campus at all times. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, forget I said that. No, um, but, but truly to just give yourself permission um, and to let God be, be God and let him lead the way, you know? That's an amazing just line, just summarize. Let God be God. And that's just the place that we always need to sit and realize who we are and who he is and all that. Hey, uh, we'll, we'll, I, I didn't email this to you in advance, but in the show notes, maybe we can put a link on our website. We have downloadable spiritual exercises that we've written. Uh, amazing. Um, they're super like grab and go, print them out. Um, things that they're self-explanatory. And you, you can grab those. They're totally free resources. We've got probably 15 of them that are in our back pocket. Um, the best one on there is sitting on a dock with Jesus. It's an imaginative exercise. Your, your listeners can have access to that. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for all this. This has been just a water hose of information. And um, would you be able to just, uh, where can people reach out to you? Just a couple uh, links. Just to, We'll link it all in the show notes, but just for sure. people. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Dan Navarra. I'm on Instagram at Dan Navarra. I'm on Facebook at Dan Navarra, uh, N-A-V-A-R-R-A. You can also follow, y, follow YP Comp Pros on Instagram uh, and ypcompros.com, Y-P-C-O-M-P-P-R-O-S.com. Uh, you'll find my blog there uh, and all of the master classes. We have a bunch of free tools like a housing allowance calculator, uh, an annual review thing that um, if you if your boss don't doesn't do an annual review, you you can walk into their office and say, "Hey, boss, I need to lead up a little bit. Would you do this review with me?" Um, so those are some places you can get access to me and my resources. You can also email me if you have a specific question about compensation, Dan at ypcompros.com, and I uh, I always am happy to help folks. Yeah. And I'm not that much on social media. <laughs> so I just have a simple email address, uh, Kelsey H at montevistachapel.org and you can reach me there. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for coming on chatting about these things. Make sure to check out all those links in the show notes, but thank you guys for coming on. It was a great conversation. Great. Thanks, Zach. Thanks a lot. The God who came to save me from my sin became a man. He lived a life I could not live and died as heaven's lamb. This has been an Extend Network production.